Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today is a very exciting day as we are finishing Sefer Shemuel with the 24th parak of Shemuel Bet. It's remarkable that we have now learned Yehoshua, Shoftim, Shemuel Aleph, and Shemuel Bet, a testament to how much you can accomplish by making small strides every day. The fact that today happens to coincide with the Siyam Ashas in MetLife Stadium and around the world makes it all the more auspicious. Obviously, this accomplishment is a much humbler one in scope and ambition, uh, but nonetheless, we're proud to have to uh, be finishing Shmuel Bet, and the coincidence is certainly quite notable. With that, let's dive in to the final parak, which I'll say is kind of a bizarre one. It's not the parak we might have expected to wrap up the Sefer. You might have expected maybe the end of David's life, how he passes away, how he is mourned, where he is buried, etc. That's not what we get here. Instead, we're told that Hashem is angry at B'nai Yisrael. He's angry at the Jewish people, and he causes David to sin by moving David, by inspiring David to conduct a census and to count the nation. Counting the nation is never outright prohibited in the Torah, but we know that when Moshe is instructed to conduct a census, he is told to do so by collecting half a shekel to, as a kind of stand and a proxy for all of the nation as a way of counting them. Torah says to do it that way, lest you, uh, if you count them by, their, uh, by the person rather than by this stand-in, uh, some sort of plague will befall the nation, some sort of calamity will befall the nation. So it's very clear that counting is bad. Why is that? You could say, I think, at least two different directions, but broadly speaking, let's present two directions. One is a kind of mystical explanation that if you count in Israel, you, you somehow place the evil eye on them, and Ayn Hara, it somehow is uh, tempting fate in a way that's inappropriate. Alternatively, you could say a, a kind of a more rational explanation, and that is that if you count the nation, you, uh, you're uh, kind of assessing the strength of the nation on purely human terms. And it shows a lack of faith in Hashem, or it could lead to a lack of faith in Hashem when you say, wow, we have a standing army of uh, hundreds of thousands of men, whatever the number might be. It could lead you to a certain sense of hubris, and so there's a, sp- a spiritual danger attached to counting up B'nai Yisrael. In any event, David, as we said, is led by God to falter uh, and to count uh, the nation. He commands Yoav to go and and actually conduct the census. Yoav pushes back on him in a way that's consistent with the second approach. He says to David, why count the nation? Uh, if, if Hashem can kind of multiply our strength by a hundredfold, we're, we're, we're much stronger than our numbers would suggest, Yoav seems to be pushing back on David in precisely that way to say that there's a, a, a lack of emuna, a lack of faith that is expressed in conducting the census. So Yoav, of course, playing his role as we've come to know it throughout the Sefer. He's this foil to David. He's pushing back on David. This, in this particular instance, ultimately his resistance is, uh, is overcome. It doesn't win the day as it had in other places. David insists and Yoav listens. But nonetheless, Yoav is kind of playing that role that we know him to play. Fine. So the, the census is conducted, and the number is finally delivered to David. He now knows how many people are among the nation, and immediately he is struck by his own error and a sense of pain and guilt. And David calls out to Hashem in repentance, and Hashem sends him the Navi God, God Hanavi, uh, one of the authors of uh, much of this Sefer. God and Natan Hanavi write much of Sefer Shmuel. And, uh, and God has the following message 
to deliver to David. He tells David that Hashem is going to punish him, and David can choose, it's a very interesting situation, David can choose the punishment that he is going to receive. He can be pursued by the sword for three months. Some foe would pursue David for three months. He can experience famine in the land for seven years, or he can choose three days of plague, of pestilence in the land. And David responds with a line that is familiar to us from Tachanun, must have been where David got it from. Uh, that's a joke. Um, Tachanun is quoting this pasuk. David, right? We, we are told, "Vayomer David el God, tsarli maod nipla naviyad Hashem ki rabim rachmav uviyad adam al apola." And David said to God, the Navi, "I am in great strait. Let us fall now into the hands of the Lord, for His mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hands of man." Right. That's the that's the key here. I want to fall into the hands of God, not into the hands of man. Meaning, what is it that David chose of the three? Which, what did he choose? On a simple level, we can only rule out one. And that is, you can only rule out that he doesn't want to be chased by the sword. Right? He wants to fall into the hands of God, not the hands of man. So it seems like David is saying, I definitely don't want to be chased by the, by the sword for three months. Um, but he has not eliminated famine or pestilence. And ultimately, it's pestilence that uh, ends up attacking and plaguing the land. And, and we're told that many thousands of people actually die as a result of this plague. The angel that is administering this plague is then approaching Yerushalayim, we're told, threatening David and his family. And he, the, 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 this angel approaches up to the threshing floor of Aravna, the Yevusi. And then David calls out to Hashem saying that the, the plague should attack him and his, whole, and his household, David and his household, but the nation should be spared. And then, at that point, God Hanavi returns to, to David and says that he should go to the threshing floor of Aravna, build an altar there, and give sacrifices to Hashem. So then David goes there. He offers to buy the threshing floor from Aravna. Aravna then says, no, 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 you just take it. Take the threshing floor. Um, he take it for free, and David insists, and David pays for it. He then offers a sacrifice, and there, where sacrifice says, and the plague then stops and comes to an end, so does our Perek, and so does Sefer Shmuel. That is the kind of odd narrative of this final Perek. That's the conclusion. So now, we have perhaps many questions that we could explore but I want to focus on just one, and that is how is this the fitting end to the Sefer? Why is this the conclusion of Sefer Shmuel? And I'd like to suggest five answers to that question, which uh, very briefly, which I think taken together paint a pretty interesting, hopefully convincing picture. I don't think any of them maybe stand alone entirely, but maybe when we put them all together or some combination of these, we have a, a pretty convincing explanation for why this is the conclusion of the Sefer and not something that would have felt a bit more natural. Firstly, one of the major themes and messages of the Sefer, which was particularly highlighted in the story of Avshalom, is that man behaves in a certain way and that behavior is something that we attribute to that person and the moral uh, guilt or the, uh, the praise is attributed to that person. But at the same time, Sometimes that uh, behavior of a human being can also be the vehicle through which Hashem delivers his justice, whether that's punishment or reward. So human behavior and divine 
will can overlap and coexist. Let me give an example. When Avshalom uh, rises up and, uh, and rebels against David, that's the product of his own will. And ultimately, Avshalom is liable for the decisions that he makes. But at the very same time, it's something that we also recognize comes in a certain respect from Hashem, because Hashem was punishing David for the Batsheva Uriah incident. And it was foretold already by Natan HaNavi that, in, albeit in a little bit of a vaguer way, but it seems very clear, certainly looking back at the words of Natan HaNavi, that it was foretold that David was going to experience an uprising in his own home and experience the unrest that he goes on to experience. So we uh, recognize, and it was, it was something that was really harped on in this section of the Sefer, that there is this kind of overlap between the divine and the human. And they're, they're, uh, they, they, they operate independently and they overlap, and we have to see things through that kind of dual lens. How does that relate to our story here? Here too, right? David sinned, but we're being told explicitly that Hashem made David sin, and at the same time, David is still held to account for his sin, right? Again, David sins, Hashem made him sin. We know that, as a reader, we know that Hashem made him sin, and yet he's still held to account for his sin. So the story really captures that duality and that essential message which is so critical to Sefer Shmuel, informing the way that we perceive the world at once, imputing moral liability to people, but also seeing things as the hand of Hashem. In addition to that, the story touches on another important theme of, of the Sefer, and that is that success in battle lies not in strength in numbers um, or in military might, but with God and God's approval and God's willingness and desire for you to, to be successful. We see that message time and time again in this Sefer, um, David, uh, in his successful moments when he's conquering all sorts of nations, so we're told that he destroys, right? He had captured chariots from enemy nations. He destroys them. Why? Because he doesn't want to become too powerful because uh, a smaller army with the will of Hashem is going to be just as powerful and if not more powerful than the greatest army with uh, all the chariots or the way that Yonatan attacks the Plishtim by himself just with his Na'ar. He's willing to fight them because if Hashem is with him, that's all that is necessary. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an important message that we find suffused throughout the Sefer. I think it's expressed here as well. Uh, as, we, as we noted, the, the counting is problematic precisely for that reason, because as Yoav says, it doesn't matter our numbers. If, if Hashem is with us, then we will succeed. So that's another theme that I think gets touched on in this, in this little kind of curious story that touches on a, a, a broader theme throughout the Sefer. The third theme that the story plays on is that of repentance. And this is certainly uh, going to be uh, very important in terms of understanding how this fits into the broader Sefer and as a conclusion. David is the consummate kind of repentant man. He's ever falling and ever getting back up. He's quick to repent, quick to take blame, quick to correct himself. And perhaps there's nothing more essential to learn from the Sefer, uh, from the, the, the Sefer's very careful portrait of David and the ups and downs of his life, uh, than to learn what it means to be a Balchuva, what it means to repent. And so uh, this story, once again, features very clearly, very prominently, the uh, this element of David's persona, that he is a person who is has really kind of mastered what it means to be repentant. So that, again, <clears throat> is a major theme that expresses itself in this narrative and makes it a kind of fitting conclusion. In addition, and along similar lines, I think we see David doing tshuva in this parak, not only for having counted the nation, but in a certain way, he's also doing tshuva for the story of Bathsheba. 
What do I mean? So recall the parable of Natan Hanavi, of that rich man stealing the one poor man's lamb, that that the the the, the, the that one shepsila that that uh, that the wealthy man takes from his poor from his poor neighbor, and then Natan Hanavi, of course, says to David, "Ataha Ish, you are that man who does precisely that." Now, David, in a moment of great national need, you might have thought. David would have just seized the threshing floor from Aravna, but he doesn't. And the Sefer takes pains to tell us that he buys it, even though he could have even gotten it for free. Nonetheless, he insists on purchasing it, maybe showing us a kind of complete 180 from his earlier abuse of power. Here now he is so respectful of the belongings, possessions of others that he insists upon purchasing uh, this threshing floor. And finally... In Devrei Hayamim, uh, when uh, this story is told, the Sefer adds a critical element to ours, and that is that this threshing floor of Aravna would ultimately become the Makom HaMikdash, the place of the Beis HaMikdash. And so we might say that this moment, which uh, captures all these important themes and ideas, uh, it's precisely this moment and this acquisition that lays the groundwork for the building of the Beis HaMikdash. And of course, the building of the Beis HaMikdash is kind of the most essential element of the next Sefer, Sefer Malachim. And so in that way, this is the perfect segue into uh, the end of David's life and really the beginning of, of Shlomo's and Shlomo's reign and all that we are going to learn in the coming days and weeks. And with that, we end Sefer Shmuel. I'm going to pick up, uh, the, I'm going to spend the next few days working and researching and preparing to get started for Sefer Malachim. So we will pick up in uh, on Monday of next week. That's when the next podcast will be up. I wish you all a hearty kol kavod and a yashar koach. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.